Brought to you by Dubois Productions. Hello and welcome back to Inno and JB Sports Pedigree. We are here to provide insight on a wide variety of sports topics. NBA hoops, UEFA Champions League soccer, NFL of course, baseball, who knows. Uh, we could go anywhere. But our goal is going to be to give you some perspective and some real honest opinion. But most importantly, we want to have fun. Um, hopefully you have fun listening, and uh, we certainly appreciate it. But let's not waste any more time. We want to dig right in today. Uh, I'm JB. And I am the one and only N.O. JB. Yes, sir. We've done the top five QBs of all time. Now it's time to talk about running backs. Oh, yes, it is. Now, NFL teams, they're generally built to stop the run, right? He who controls the line of scrimmage controls the game of football. Now, when you start talking about the running back position, it's a position in the NFL with an extremely short lifespan. We're talking about average of three years per running back. So guys who play at extremely high level and have longevity, few and far between. Yeah, not talking about a, a lot of guys. Yeah, you know? and I think that's uh, people don't realize that, man. Like you said, three years. Like most guys, you're lucky if you get that long a time in, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the top running backs of all time is such a difficult category to judge. It is. Extremely. There's so many guys, um, you know, and doing my list, uh, I went back and forth a lot. Uh, I feel good about my list now, but, man, there's so many guys that I left off uh, is yeah. the way I feel. Um, you know, it gets a little bit narrow the higher you get up the list, yeah. but there's so much versatility in some guys, you know, power, speed, you know, combos of not only running but receiving, and just there's some guys on here that were just absolutely explosive uh, in yeah. their prime. So yeah. very challenging for me, but hey. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. And speaking of difficulty, when you get higher in the list, JB, I got a confession to make. It was so difficult for me near the top of the list. We're going to let you start because I went straight to top three. I couldn't Ooh, do it. I couldn't okay. do it after top five. So we're going to let you start and I'm going to jump in when we okay. get to number three. And I might, uh, depending on who your three is, uh, I'll throw out some honorable mentions of course. at the end because I feel like I, I need to. All right. Well, my number five to start off then is none other than the running back version of LT, LaDainian Tomlinson. Mm. LT was a 5'10", 250-pound running back, 44640, played for 11 years, uh, ended up having one MVP for his career, total of 162 touchdowns scored in 170 games, which is third all-time on the total touchdown list. Pretty crazy. Um, single season record for touchdowns in a season at 28 in a 16 game season That's a lot almost to a game uh and also has a record for 18 straight games with a touchdown uh he was a three-time all pro which that means you know he's the best in the league voted for mm -hmm. that year very versatile actually had a hundred catch season early on in his career and was kind of really way ahead of his time uh, when it comes to that, you know, thinking about back in the early 2000s, um, between rushing and receiving, which is something I, I looked at as well as your total total yards per game average for career, 
Uh, because again, these guys for the most part are very versatile. They're not just running, they're catching the ball out of the backfield. Certainly he was excellent at both. Uh, he averaged 109 yards a game uh, rushing and receiving and uh, ended up seventh all time on the rushing list. So LT is my number five. So I'll go ahead to my number four guy. Um, <laughs> number four for me. Uh, a lot of similarities uh, with this player. Uh, Marshall Falk is oh number my. four on my yes, list. Yes, yes. And I know you're a fan of his. Um, you know, remember him back in the day starting out with the Colts. Not sure yeah. what happened and why. I don't remember the specifics of how he ended up not being a Colt uh, and got to the Rams, but maybe a, a story for another time. Uh, he was a 5'10", 211-pound guy, very similar in size, a little bit faster, 4.3540, played 12 years, uh, slightly higher yards per carry than LT. He's actually one of two guys to have 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards in the same year. Now think about that. How many guys... I mean, there, how many guys do one of either in a year? Incredible. This guy had a 1,000 yards out of the backfield and then also catching in the same year. It's crazy. He also had four straight years with 2,000 scrimmage yards. So that's rushing yards and receiving yards combined. Four straight years over 2,000, uh, which is a record. So from 1998 to 2001, there was nobody better in the league, really, at any position, um, you can argue. Uh, he ended up with one MVP, to his credit. Um, when, and when we talk about MVPs for non-quarterback players, you know, you're, you're getting into rare, thin air because there's not a whole lot of guys that have that. In their That's right. Uh, right. He finished uh, with 136 total touchdowns in 170 games, um, which is seventh all-time, three-time All-Pro as well. Uh, he actually had five years in a row of 80-plus catches as a running back. Mm. Um, so just speaks to his versatility. Um, always a solid running back and just uh, could put him, line him up anywhere. Uh, slot, you can line him up outside, and he was, uh, he was dangerous. Also averaged for his career 109 yards per game total uh, rushing and receiving. Yeah, um, thinking back to – the early years of Peyton Manning, which is, you know, Marshall Falk and Peyton Manning did play together. But mm -hmm. the reason Marshall Falk left Indianapolis was essentially he wanted more money. He wanted he had two years left on a contract, if I'm not mistaken, and he wanted to renegotiate. And uh, the Colts weren't having it. So it okay. just got Peyton Manning. Um, and uh, he they actually traded him to St. Louis for a second and fifth round draft pick. That's all. That's all. St. Louis gave up for a future MVP. Well, um, you think at the time that's a. I mean, I mean that's pretty. That's pretty normal, I would say. But <laughs> who yeah, would have well, known, right? Yeah. Well, well given uh, the success that he had in Indianapolis, I think they should have got a little bit more. But you can't really yeah. say the Colts made the wrong decision because Peyton no. Manning. Peyton Manning's numbers went crazy after Marshall Falk left, and the Colts got. A Hall of Fame running back a year later. Do you know who they that is? They sure did, Mr. Edger and James. Edger and James, Hall of Famer. So, talk, no, talk worked, about it, picking some good running backs, man. That's, that's solid right. right there. Worked out for both teams, JB. Yep. All right, let me let me jump into my number three. Yeah, please do. Um, my number one, two, and number three. I feel like JB and I are gonna have the same. Maybe may, maybe not in the same order, but we'll have the same three. My number three running back of all time is Walter Payton. Okay. Uh, 
terms of longevity of greatness it was almost the deciding factor why I put him higher on this list uh, yep. 16,726 yards but he averaged is he averaged 4.4 per carry during his career um, sweetness was a three-time MVP winner 1976 1977 this is extremely impressive 1985 how often do you see that from a running back yeah, to to crazy, ten man. to ten years later, still be playing at the top levels, um, it's amazing. Yeah, you know durability, crazy. And when you think about that '85 season, that's when he won the Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears. We are the yep. Bears. Yeah. So <laughs> that team right there. I'm gonna jump in because he's my number three as well. Okay, go ahead. Pig, piggyback on there with you. Um, yeah, he was a. It just kind of speaks to. Not only his toughness, he wasn't a huge guy. I mean, again, another 5'10 guy, so not super tall. He was like maybe 200 pounds, and I don't even know if he was that. I mean, that's what they listed him at. Um, so for him to play, you know, 13 years, really, plus, like you said, almost a decade in between MVPs, he was a seven-time All-Pro as well. Goodness. Wow. Um yeah, seven-time All-Pro and averaged 114 total yards a game, um, which that's just crazy to me. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Walter Payton, goodness gracious, JB. Yes. You got for number two now. So, my number two um, is probably the main reason that I really fell in love with football. Probably my favorite player of all time is Barry wow. Sanders. Wow. Yeah, he's my number two. Okay. Um, 58203 little guy ran a 4.37 anybody who anybody who grew up when I did you know all about Barry Sanders but I, I just want to break some things down and, and some of the reasons why I feel he separates himself only played 10 years and uh, he averaged per game rushing in those 10 years 99 point yard 99.8 yards a game so essentially he averaged 100 yards rushing a game um he also averaged for his career five yards per carry so that's a big thing i look at when you look at running backs and their you know efficiency and effectiveness the first three guys on my list um, go from 4.2, 4.3, Walter Payton at 4.4 yards a carry for his career, jumping to Barry Sanders at five yards a carry. Um, yes, one of the knocks on him, he did take some some tackles for loss. Uh, he was a big play guy. Uh, he never really had an amazing or great offensive line either, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so a lot of what he did, he kind of made happen. Um He did get an MVP. He had four rushing titles, 109 touchdowns in 153 games, six-time All-Pro. And, I I mean, I could literally sit and just watch this guy play all day. (laughs) That's just – I'm such a huge fan. Right, yeah, Barry Sanders was an incredible football player, man, one of the best running backs in the 90s era. Uh, My number two running back of all time, though, is not Barry Sanders. It's actually Jim Brown, Mm. three-time MVP. We're talking about a very historic football player from 
50s and 60s era. Won an MVP in 57, 58, and 1965. And in eight of his nine seasons in the league, he was the NFL rushing leader. That's crazy. <laughs> One thing you got to take into account, like when you talk about Jim Brown's stats, is that he played 12 game seasons during his first four years and 14 game seasons the other five. So, you know, Barry Sanders obviously played 16 game seasons throughout his career. I think Walter Payton was like the gap between 14 and 16 game seasons, but then Brown did his damage in 12 and 14 game seasons and he averaged 5.2 yards for his career. It's crazy. Think about that. You you give him the ball twice. It's not even getting the third down. Got a first down every two plays and that's incredible. You know, he... He eventually retired from the NFL to pursue acting, you know, and, and other philanthropy. But Jim Brown is my number two running back of all time. All right. Well, he's he's my number one. So I'll just and, keep I'll just keep the train going for yeah, Jim. Of course. Um, he he's a, on my list. He's really the only guy you consider a big guy. Jim Brown was 6'2", 232 pounds. Yeah. So again, like way, way, way ahead of his time. I mean, you think. Um, like Eddie George, almost as big as that dude, uh, and and they didn't run 40s back then. They didn't really clock guys officially. Uh, it was noted that he ran a 4.5 in full pads in 1958, so nothing official. Um, the other stat that is crazy about Jim Brown, in addition to what you mentioned, the 5.2 yards for carry, Jim Brown was never in his career tackled for a loss. Did you know wow. that? Never once tackled for a loss. So (laughs) regardless of whether he's hit in the backfield or not, he's at least getting to the line of scrimmage no matter what. Scored 126 touchdowns in only 118 games. And in his nine seasons, he was eight-time All-Pro. So I just, uh, for me, I I believe he's a guy that, you know, could strap it up and and absolutely would be able to play today uh, considering the size, the power, the speed, just the combo. Um, and that's why he's number one on my list. And no doubt about that. I can't argue with it too much. Obviously, we flip-flopping here because my number yep. one is Barry Sanders. Uh, Ooh. I think I gave Barry the edge uh, just because he, quite honestly, seemed untackable at times. You know, he played so low to the ground with his trunk-sized quads <laughs> and the jump cuts that he made. Crazy, right? It's amazing. The jump cuts and the whole... It, four three speed you know he went from zero to 60 in 0.5 seconds and we're talking about a dude who fourth on the all-time rush list and only played 10 seasons and in 1997 Barry Sanders rushed for 2053 yards six yards per carry and 14 TDs you know really think about that because the Detroit Lions were never a great team in any of his years there they had some solid teams and but as a defense, you knew Barry Sanders was getting the ball 20 to 25, potentially 30 times a game. And knowing that, you know, and still not being able to stop him to the tune of 2,000 yards, you know, it would just by a slight hair, I put Barry Sanders above Jim Man, Brown. You know, in oh, that year you're talking about, you know how much, uh, you know what, so he ran for 2,000 yards in the 16 game season. Do you know what he rushed for the in the first two games of that year? What's that, JB? He, he got shut down. Like, wow. like you said, he had like 14 yards in the first week, or maybe this might be vice versa. He had like 14 yards and then like 37 
and then just obliterated the league Went the rest crazy. of the last 14 games Went of the year. Yeah. crazy. That's amazing. Crazy. And now, you know, I feel bad because, to be honest with you, I, like I said, I almost – I, I was tempted to have him one, but I felt like it'd be too much of a homer for me <laughs> to put uh -huh. him there. But, uh, yeah, man, I love it that you have him number one because he's yes. he certainly is my favorite if I got to pick a favorite. No doubt, no doubt. Well, JB, moving on from that one. Yeah. Best series comebacks of all time. Whew. Let's There's go. A lot. Absolutely. Let's go through some series. You know, obviously we're talking – the playoffs, the end of the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL seasons, if you will. Mm. And uh, when teams were down, right, and they had the wherewithal, they had the guts, they had the greatness to not let that deter them from coming back. And they came back to win the series. I'll jump it off, JB. Kick it off. In the 2016 Western Conference Finals of the NBA, the comeback by the Golden State Warriors. We're talking about... The 73 and 9 Golden State Warriors, pre Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. The Warriors were on the brink of elimination, JB, playing against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who had a 3 1 lead, and, and they were doing it in dominating fashion, winning by 28 and 24 in games three and four to take the series lead, 3 to 1. Mm. We're talking about young KD and Russ. We're yeah. also talking about Sergi Blocka. Steven Adams, <laughs> Inez Cantor. Think about that front line. Serge, Steven Adams, Inez Cantor. I think his name is Inez Freedom now. Uh, Deion Waiters was a good Is that is that scorer. real? His is name that is, for real? That's his name now. Inez Freedom. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty... Wow. No doubt. Okay. <laughs> so, down 3-1. Golden State, you know, they took game five on their home court. But game six is where the series really turned because we're talking down 3-2 on the road in the fourth quarter. Golden State was losing. Down seven when Clay and Steph took over offensively. They eked it out with a three-point barrage in the fourth quarter and then rolled a crucial third quarter of game seven at home to a win. Obviously, you know, that's an incredible comeback. Down 3-1. Pretty much the whole country's wanting you to lose with the exception of Warriors fans because, like, we're 73-9. and nine, They were unbeatable, but you're seeing yep. them, you know, kind of be human in a lot of ways. So, obviously, we know what happened that offseason. KD said, since I can't beat them, I'll go ahead and join them. Yep, that was it. Man, I'm gonna. Uh, I, that's a good one. I, I love reminiscing about some of these because I, I I can literally you know picture these games and like you you remember how you felt. Like you said, I was kind of pulling for the Thunder because um, the Warriors. It's like they've been there. They're obviously dominant, you know. And it's hard not to root for the underdog as much as I do like um, players like Curry and Clay Thompson. And the series right after that one was another big comeback for the other team, actually. Um, so I wanted to touch on the 2016 NBA Finals. Okay. And there was a lot of uh, kind of underlying things here. The, these teams have played a lot already, so there's a lot of history between them. And uh, as you mentioned, coming in 73-9, and nine, heavy favorites, especially after eking by. Uh, most people thought they were going to go ahead and just win the title yeah um first two games out of the gate they basically blew out blew out the Cavs. um first game was like 104 to 89 um 
Steph and Clay just went off. Game two, Kevin Love for the Cavs got a head injury, if you remembered. Tried to play through, ended up playing the rest of the game, um, but really wasn't effective and probably hurt the team playing. So game three went back to Cleveland, and Cleveland put it on Golden State. Um, I think they beat them by like 30, and this was without Kevin Love. Um, LeBron ended up with 32 that game. Kyrie had 30. Um, but really defensively, they just came out and they were very active. So cut it to 2-1. Then game four, Warriors come back and take game four to go up 3-1. So pretty much at this point, everybody thinks it's over. Um, Clay had 25 in that game. And it was actually the Warriors' 88th win of the season, which if you count all the playoff wins, which beat the Bulls' record for 87 wins in mm. a season. This game, though, if you remember, is the game where uh, Draymond Green and LeBron James had to be separated at the end of the game. Uh, I mean, I can still picture, you know, Draymond fell to the ground, LeBron takes a step over him, kind of, you know, disrespectfully. Green gets up, swings his arm, um, you know, kind of lashing out. Well, that was a ended up being a flagrant, and so Draymond Green gets assessed that flagrant, which was his, I believe, four or five that he had in the postseason, so he had to miss a game. So, obviously, defensive leader, um, emotional leader being out the next game, that really helped the Cavs uh, take that next game five to be able to get it back to Cleveland for game six, where they won, to send it to a game seven. And uh, that was just a great game. We remember the back and forth. You remember the block uh, where Iguodala's on the breakaway. Yeah, um, absolutely. About a minute to Man. go, yeah. and, and LeBron comes out of nowhere. And then that big three by Kyrie uh, to give the Cavs a lead, and they held on. And that was the Cavs, what, Cleveland's first title for that city, I can't. I don't know the exact date. I know they never won one um, for basketball, correct? But baseball had been years and years. Um, so I was happy for the town. Um, you know, obviously, always some controversy. It feels like when LeBron's involved, but um, that was one of those series that I will never forget. Yeah, it, it was a situation where Draymond. Put yourself in Draymond's shoes if you're the NBA yeah. commissioner. What could he? What was he supposed to do when somebody stepped over him? Obviously, going out of their way to it's a natural reaction. I didn't think he should have been suspended, uh, but he right. did. You know, and you can't change history. So I mean, it is what it is. And uh, great comeback by the Cavs. Either way, uh, the Warriors ended up getting them back. Oh, they did. <laughs> and they they battled. They battled back and forth for a few seasons. JB. My other best series comeback is from 2004. We're going baseball. American League Championship Series between the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Oh, yeah. We can't we can't forget that one. That series saw the Yankees take a 3-0 lead, JB. I'm talking about domination. You know, in the best of seven series, they needed one more win and had four games to do it. No biggie. <laughs> no, not at all. In game four, the Yankees led 4-3 going into the bottom of the ninth. They were literally three outs away from a sweep. Well, the inning started off with a walk to Kevin Millar. Dave Roberts pinch ran and stole yep. second. 
Then Man, a I, single. I was yeah. on the edge of my seat for that steal, too. Yeah. Dave Roberts, man. Then a single by Bill Miller played it in to tie the game at Florida. Sox eventually won it in the bottom of the 12th on a two-run bomb by David Ortiz. And the Red Sox were on the board in the series, obviously still down 3-1 with a long way to go, say the least, if they were going to come back and win the series. Now, in game five, we had a 14-inning game. And... The Red Sox trailed four to two late in that one. Came back and won. 14th inning. So 3-2 now, but you got to go back to New York for games six and seven. And you're trying to win two games on the road to secure the series comeback. So they handed the ball to Kurt Schilling in game six. And he threw a gem. Yes, he did. To tie the series at three. Game seven was like... The icing on the cake, JB. It was domination. David Ortiz hit a first inning bomb, and they never looked back. Finishing the comeback with a 10-3 victory after being down 3-0. The Boston Red Sox in 2004 achieved history. They did, man, and they broke the curse, right? That That's year. right. That's right. It was like, it was pretty much all said and done, I think, after they, was that the, uh, they played they beat was it the rockies that year and they just swept them i'm pretty sure we're gonna have to check it out i'll have that for you in a second jb what you got okay please do i got another one uh from baseball and uh, another curse broken in 2016 for the chicago cubs um a lot of folks don't remember they were down 3-1 in that series to the indians um which is another team again that it seems like i get cleveland involved here sorry cleveland um <laughs> but they hadn't won a series in quite some time either. Either uh, They shut the Cubs out. Um, you know, Cubs had an amazing season. But yeah. as we all know, they hadn't won a title in forever. And it felt it felt like every year something happened. You remember Bartman uh, with the foul ball. They were yeah. up 3-1 on the Marlins it's that year. the Marlins, yeah. So everybody kind of expected uh, something's going to happen to the Cubs. But uh, lose, the, lose on the road to the Indians – down 6-0 in game one. They did take game two, 5-1, and then lost the next two. So coming into game five, they put old John Lester back out there and uh, just pitched a heck of a game. Mm. Uh, they had Eddie, Eddie Vetter saying, take me out to the ball game, okay. if you remember, and I think it kind of spurred them on towards the end there. Uh Went back to Cleveland for game six, and they jumped on them early. Uh, Jake Arrieta, if you remember, had an amazing year that year. was just yes. lights out. Mm-hmm. Um, they jumped on three runs in the first and then four more in the third to make it 9-3 to three is, is how it finished off. And then game seven. Game seven was so interesting because it went into extra innings. So you just talk about drama, um, and there was a slight rain delay before extra innings so they talked about how jason hayward kind of gathered gathered everyone and kept their spirits up because um they had a lead going into the eighth and cleveland came storming back with three runs so the momentum was all with cleveland um and then you head into extras you get a little rain delay they could have easily based upon the history kind of given it up thrown in the towel but uh they stuck together Scored two in the top of the ninth, and uh, Aroldis Chapman, of all people, actually ended up getting the, the win in that last game. 
there you go. So they broke the curse. There were some good players on that team too. As I mentioned, Jason Hayward. You had um, Chris Bryant, I believe, was the MVP that year, and Ben Zobrist. Ben Zobrist with the big big hit late in the game. Former Tampa Bay Devil Devil Ray. JB, you actually believe in that curse stuff? Not, no, no. Really. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, like, it's one of those things where if enough people believe it, like your mentality affects how you play. So you get stuck in that mindset and all of a sudden one thing leads to another and oh it's a curse. Well I just don't believe like I just don't believe that I can be responsible for or be held accountable for something that happened a hundred or whatever how many, Not, many years ago. Hey man, I hear you. Well it's like the Bengals uh lot folks said it was the curse of Bo Jackson when they broke his leg in ninety one and the whole city of Cincinnati hasn't won anything since then and guess what? This year got redemption beat the Raiders in the first round of the playoffs so we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah, see. that that curse stuff is just excuses. But anyways, <laughs> let's move on to our personal segment, JB. Okay. Oh, you going to go? We'll let you go first okay. on this one. All right. So my personal segment is regarding something recent that has happened in uh storyline in the NFL. And I would like to come out and just commend Brian Flores, the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, for taking a stand for what he believes again believes in. Um, and the reason it's even, in my opinion, uh, greater for him is because there's a, a likelihood that he won't get to coach again because of the stand that he's taken. It takes courage. Um it's not like we folks didn't know, don't know that these things go on, but for somebody to come out, speak out about it, and actually try to make an impact and better make a change for others, um, that's huge. So for those of you that don't know the specifics, he filed a lawsuit against the NFL and against the Dolphins, Denver Broncos, and New York Giants, so three teams. Uh, for alleged racism and essentially some of the specifics uh, discuss how the Rooney Rule, which requires teams to have to interview a minority before they make a decision. Uh, we all know that this this is a toxic rule. Uh, it's really sad in our society that something like this has to be in place or was put in place. Unfortunately, rules don't change people's hearts and minds. Um, so the premise of the rule, okay, but, you know, unfortunately what happens, and in his case, you get a fake interview uh, just to say, oh, yes, we, we interviewed a minority, so now we can hire the guy we really want. Um, so it, it creates, um, you know, just stringing guys along. It's wasting time. And... Let's just be honest. We have a league that has 75 to 80% black players, and there's one coach that is black. There's one right now, Mike Tomlin. That's just ludicrous. You've got guys like um, Jim Caldwell, who is a career like 600, 650% um, as a head coach in his career, and he doesn't have a job. You've got Brian Flores, who goes 10 and 7 and then 9-8 and eight and gets fired. Um, 
it's just sad. And uh, I just, again, want to commend him. And, and some of the other things that really uh, could be detrimental that he is alleging is that he was paid to lose games, to tank games. And since this started, Hugh Jackson, former Browns coach, came out and said the same thing happened to him with the Browns. Um, which, and you start getting into talking about integrity of the league, it's a, a very serious accusation. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of high hopes for uh, the NFL to do anything unless it comes out that these um, that these teams actually did offer. If there's proof that they offered to pay, um, you could see some potential ownership changes, I think. But ultimately, um, you know, as a society, we've just got to look at it changing our hearts and our minds. I mean, for it to be the way it is right now, um, there's no reason he shouldn't have a job and many other guys. And, and some of the hires you take a look at are kind of a head scratcher. So I don't know. I could say a whole lot more on it, but. I just want to really just commend him for taking a stand. Yeah, unfortunately, we know how taking a stand plays out for minority coaches and players, you know, mm-hmm. given the nature of uh, leadership in the NFL. When you think about people like Colin Kaepernick um, and, right. it, you know, the Rooney rule goes to show that affirmative action a lot of times has the opposite effect of its intended purpose. Um, yeah. Due to you know racism and prejudice, you can put an anti-racist legislation in place, but the people in power still have to choose to not be racist, as you kind exactly. of said. So yes, there you have it in that situation, man. I hope all goes yeah. well for for uh, Flores and Hugh Jackson and others who come out and take a stand. But we'll see. Yep. For my personal segment, JB, I don't predict much when it comes to the outcome of games. Used to, but once I became a coach and started seeing sports from that point of view, I stopped. Sometimes on the show, obviously, we do segments like Sports Dichotomy where we ask predictive questions, but generally that's all in fun. Right. So for the purpose of this segment, I'm talking about the type of predicting when you feel like you actually know or knew what was going to happen. For example, at the beginning of an NBA season, right, you are certain that Team A wherever that may be, will win the NBA championship. But as the season moves along, you notice Team A isn't doing so well. (laughs) They're average at best. Shout out to Kevin Samuel. So you stop stop discussing Team A and suddenly Team B. Team B becomes your focus now, right? Well, Team B coincidentally is doing excellent and you're letting everyone know how you predicted it to happen. I see this daily in every sport imaginable jb it's honestly understandable when you're a younger teenager or even a young adult but as we get older let's chill on the blow away with the wind predictions Mm. right let's root for our teams be consistent with that and stop trying to get these moral victories that include a false sense of sports knowledge it looks bad my brothers it looks bad yep Stick with your team. Don't be all over the place. Today, I'm a Ravens fan. Tomorrow, I'm a Steelers fan. The next day, I'm a Bengals. Come on, man. Man, there's a lot of lot of, lot of, of fresh Bengals fans out there. Yeah, boy, I, I've, been, I've been seeing them and a lot of fresh <laughs> Rams fans, man. I'm like, yes. wow. I, didn't, I, I had no idea. I had no idea you were. <laughs> hey, 
Hey, you know what? I, I do got to give some love to the Rams. Um, I think if you guys listen back, uh, there was a point in time when Eno and I both said that uh, we didn't expect them to make it as far as they did either. So kudos to those guys. We don't talk about that much. We mess up sometimes. Yep, we do. We're not perfect. It's not that often, though. I mean, let's be real. Not, not, very, <laughs> not very often. All right, cool. JB, let's um, talk about the U.S. men's national team for a little bit. Let's let's do that. So I'm excited with three matches left to decide whether the U.S. men's national team, soccer team, is what we're talking about, qualify for this year's World Cup in Qatar. Yes, this is World Cup year. Now, for those who don't know how it works in Concacaf or the division that the United States plays in, the top three teams qualify and the fourth place squad advances to the intercontinental playoff match versus the winner of Oceania Football Confederation. That match will be June 13th to 14th this year. That's one match, winner gets in. So there could potentially be four teams from CONCACAF. Now, how the U.S. is doing, JB? Currently in the CONCACAF standings going into the final three, the U.S. is in second place tied with Mexico at 21 points behind Canada, who surprisingly leads the group with 25 points. Yep. So while the U.S. seems to be in solid shape, the fourth and fifth place teams, Panama and Costa Rica, have 17 and 16 points respectively. And the USA still has matches versus both of these teams, as well as Mexico down in Estadio Azteca. The U.S. has the toughest final three out of anyone in the top five. So Coach Burhalter needs to find the right lineup combination, JB, and formations. Yes. Yes, Timmy Weah. Timmy Weah. Obviously, he didn't make the trip to Canada due to COVID protocols. It was a huge loss. And quite honestly, Christian Pulisic hasn't yet rounded into the form that we know he's capable of. So getting Gio Reyna back for these final three would also be huge to our chances. Hopefully, Gio can get healthy along with the recently injured Tyler Adams and Chris Richards. We need both of those guys. Weston McKinney has been very consistent on the pitch. And if Brendan Aronson, excuse me, Weston McKinney and Sergio Dest have been very consistent. And if Brendan Aronson and Ricardo Pepe can gain confidence striking a few into the back of the net, we just need a couple of goals. The USA could be in great shape, JB. Barring a complete collapse, we should qualify in late March. So we Think about how this march is going to be for us, JB, NCAA tournament, U.S. men's national team, NCAA tournament, U.S. men's national team is going down. (laughs) Man, (laughs) great job, like, uh, great explanation. Thank you, um, thank you. Because I know there's a lot of folks that really don't, you know, they may start watching come World Cup time, but don't really understand how it all plays out. And um, Canada's really separated themselves at this point to where – they probably, based on looking at who everybody has left, I mean, they've almost got the group wrapped up. And like yeah. you said, sitting there tied for second, I'm not very comfortable considering, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a win gets you three points and a tie gets you one. So, for instance, if we go to Mexico, lose to them, mm. and Panama wins, they're only a point behind us yeah. when we play them. So, yeah. it very easily... Uh, could get turned around and then the last game being at Costa Rica March 30th mark yeah. that on your calendars March 30th at Costa Rica 
let's just hope that we have things locked up heading yep. into that game. Uh, yes, we don't want to have to. We don't want to oh, have sir. to get a win. That that's just not not a not an easy place to play. Oh, sir. And <laughs> it's uh, wouldn't be beneficial for us. So, like you said, man, um, getting some of these guys back. I wonder where John Brooks is. Man, uh, defensively, that's been a question of mine. I don't know if he's in the doghouse if there's something just with the coaching staff um i haven't been impressed with the results based upon the talent um you know if you look across the players that the u.s has where they are playing nash internationally the roles that they have on some of these larger clubs there's really no excuse that that canada's is beating us i mean canada's got some good players but they're not on our level yeah. And uh, I top think, to, top know, to bottom, they don't compare to us. No, and, and uh, I saw a quote actually from Hercules Gomez, former U.S. men's national team player, was just talking about how the the U.S. just doesn't seem to have the intensity required. Yes, there are a lot of young guys, um, but you know some of that's on the coaching man and and way you set them up. And if you've watched any of their games, it's one thing to be a second half team. But it's another to be almost completely flat, lacking energy the entire first half. Um, I think the last game they played, whoever we just beat most recently, um, we scored two goals in the first half. I think for the first time in the entire qualifying. Yeah, it was. Um, and this was, what, the 11th game. So they've got to come out stronger. I think a lot of it does have to do the, with the formation and the team setup. Uh, Musa, I think, is important to get him on the ball more as well, along with McKinney. And McKinney, I will say this. If Weston McKinney plays the way that he's played these last few games, I'm pretty confident. So um, he's definitely the linchpin, I feel like, for them. But, yeah, uh, uh, by no means do I feel as safe as I did a few months ago and confident. But uh, I think we're still going to get there. Right, no doubt. And that team we beat was Honduras uh, a few days ago. And, you know, when you think about personality of the team and sometimes a perceived lack of toughness, you know, a lot of teams, they kind of take the personality of their coach. And Greg Berhalter is, you know, not the most, you know, type A, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully that's not what's affecting the players when they get into the match against Canada. You know, like you said, Canada seemed just like they wanted it a bit more, you know. Committing those fouls at the right time, you know, but you know, kind of bridging that gap, not getting a yellow card, but stopping maybe a potential three-on-two from the U.S. and got to make sure you do that, and and you yep. can't and you can't be scared to. You got to have that mindset that we got to get this done. And um, yeah, I think they're gonna get it done, JB. But we will have a lot more to say about it. Yep. Yes, sir. All right. We've got a uh, we got a fun segment we're bringing back today, right? What we got, JB? I think we're bringing back a little sports fact or fiction. Hey, it's one of my favorites uh, already. So, little, little explanation for us, JB? Yeah. So we're gonna go back and forth, making statements uh, re- regarding something in sports, and then uh, we have to decide whether that was a fact or a fictional statement. So could be fun play along I'm, with us i'm ready i'm excited <laughs> are you ready i'm gonna let's, start it off okay let's do it jb 
All right, so at historic Romford Greyhound Stadium in Romford, England, obviously it's a Greyhound racetrack. That's a big thing over there. They once raced cheetahs there at this stadium. I'm going to say false. How did they get them into the stadium? Without <laughs> I don't getting, know. But without getting I don't know. Up. I don't know, but it's fact. They did it. <laughs> Look it up. Tranquilized <laughs> the cheetahs and then got them in there. <laughs> right. They're oh, like, my gosh. That had to be an ordeal. That's crazy. Wow. Oh, man. That's a good start, baby. <laughs> All right. Here we go. All right. Super Bowl Sunday is the number one day annually for marriages. Many more people get married on Super Bowl Sunday than any other day during the year. Um, huh. Fiction? You're you're right. It's, it's okay. It's the least. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> okay. the opposite. I'm like thinking, wait a minute. So these dudes, eh? <laughs> okay. less less people get married on Super Bowl Sunday than any other day during the year. Uh, that does make sense. Okay, I like that. All right. Uh, former Indianapolis Colt great Robert Mathis. I know you are a huge fan. Of course. Did you know that he owns? professional basketball team in Guatemala called the Guatemalan <laughs> the Guatemalan jump shot makers crazy team I'm going to have to call a false on this one uh, <laughs> am I laughing give it away <laughs> well the jump shot makers is what gave it away <laughs> I couldn't even say it oh my gosh oh, oh that was funny that was funny uh, we're going to stay with the Colts though Oh, uh, okay. All right. Bob Ursay, the father, you know, ownership-wise, moved the Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis in 1984 because the stadium in Maryland was trash and the city was trying to covet his team by using eminent domain. Was it 1984? I'm going to say fact. Yes. They were 1984 overnight on the Mayflowers. Uh, they moved to Indianapolis, who was already building the Hoosier Dome at the time, eventually became huh. the RCA Dome. They were trying to take the team in Baltimore. And he said, not going to happen. Uh, we'll holler at y'all. My, can't, even, can't even blame him, to be honest. I didn't realize. I mean, I guess, yeah, I was young. I, I figured it feels like the Colts have been here longer than that. No, no. 1984 yeah, is when the Colts came to Indianapolis. Okay. Uh, so one of my favorite pastimes, or at least used to be in college, uh, ping pong. Did you know that ping pong balls can travel off of a paddle at nearly 110 miles an hour? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say true on this one. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I see the top. I see the top level ping pong players, Ooh. and I'm and I'm looking goodness gracious. Yeah, you don't want to get domed by one of them. No man. sir, no sir. It's it's a good thing they're pretty hollow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, JB. Former Indiana Pacer great Jermaine O'Neal made his NBA debut at 17 years and not even two months years old. Uh, I think that's fiction. You're right. He was eight. He was, he was 18 okay. years and not even two years old. Two months. Say, I think old. he was 18. That's Man. right. Nicely done, still, JB. Still. Man, I know. Crazy. Okay. Portland Trailblazers, by the way. Wow. Lots going on with that team right now. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. The longest recorded tennis match lasted nearly 11 hours. 2010, John Isner over Nicholas Mahout. Forgive me if I'm pronouncing those wrong. The match took nearly three days to complete at, at Wimbledon. I'm pretty sure this one's uh true because the fifth set was like 74 to 72. <laughs> yep, you're right. Yeah, I remember. That's crazy, yep. man. Yeah. Oh, yep, because you you, be, yeah, you had to win the fifth set by two, right? You, yeah. So they kept winning back and forth. And if you remember, both of those players, well, I don't know so much about Mahout, but John Isner was has always been known for being an incredible server so when he's serving he's you know he's gonna win a lot of games but as a you know when the other person's serving that's where john isner usually falls and fails <laughs> well good his, insight on that his run like, man yeah, that's nuts his running around the court game isn't the best okay all righty what do you got for me we're gonna stick with jermaine o'neal for another one back in january of 2005 when jermaine o'neal dropped 55 points Playing for the Indiana Pacers, he subbed himself out of the game early so that Reggie Miller could maintain the Pacers' single-game scoring record, which is 57. Wow! I'll say fact. It did. He did. Wow! I, I remember watching the game. I remember That's watching the. Uh, right it there. was. It was. You know, Jermaine O'Neal. Those guys, the Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest, Stephen Jackson crew, who you know everybody called. You know attitude problems those guys uh-huh. they really respected reggie miller you know they really looked up to him and what a what a person to look up to you know yeah to learn from and whatnot so yeah that's a good one um i'll stick with basketball wilt chamberlain hall of famer fouled out of an average of 47 games a year during his career i'm gonna say fiction yeah, it's fiction. Oh, Will okay. Chamberlain never fouled out of a game. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how, <laughs> if he's if he's fouling out of forty-seven games, how is he dropping eighty and hundred points uh, on people? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, JB. Here's my last one. The college sport that you are most likely to go pro in is baseball. Mm. I'm gonna say fiction. JB. This is your huh. first miss of the day. It's actually oh, true. Oh, man. So percentage-wise, 10.5% of college players. Think about the MLB draft, though. Uh, like oh, a lot of guys, true. you get what I'm yep. saying? 4.1% yep. for ho- hockey, 2% for football, one9 for men's soccer, and 1% for basketball. Man, 1%. What about lacrosse, though? No, I'm just kidding. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> dang. Yeah, it's because they have them. How many rounds is it? It's like 50 or something, right? It's, in, it's a crazy number, which I will have for you here in a second. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I'm, I'm just guessing. Uh, I got one more for you, though. Okay. I know, so don't look that up yet. All right. Uh, Steve Young, Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. Um, he was once known as the limber one due to his dexterity and amazing flexibility. He actually turned down the chance at one point early in his teenage years to be an Olympic figure skater. I'm gonna say fiction. (laughs) 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 The limber one. That was that was. Yeah, you almost had me for a second. It sounded kind of believable. (laughs) Man, that's what I say. 
that's the credit to my writing skills the fact the fact that you almost believed it i like i like steve young as a qb man i love oh, yeah. i love i love first off i like lefty qbs and he was mobile and he could stand in the pocket and throw i love yeah love people that about forget him. how uh how mobile and yeah, imagine I mean, how run. long do you how long did he realistically wait behind montana where you know he could have been playing uh, somewhere else or if he if he was a selfish guy you yep. know so yeah he's awesome all right <laughs> Oh shoot! Well, By the way, JB, is, the MLB yeah, yeah. The, the MLB uh, draft has forty rounds. Forty. That's still that's a lot. That's okay. incredible. It's amazing. It's that time of the week. Uh, what we got for little no nos. Let's do it. No nos. All right. So uh, I didn't necessarily do this on purpose, but um, uh, we I kind of did a nice little segue. Um, We've got the Winter Olympics going on, um, so obviously a lot of snow events typically takes place in colder locations. You know what's uh, what's your favorite Winter Olympic sport? That's a great question, man, and you yeah. might be surprised by my answer. You know, okay, I always like watching hockey. Of course, you know it's natural to watch. You know, uh, Olympic hockey. Thinking back to the famous U.S. match. But I really like to watch curling. Do you really? <laughs> I really I like watching wondering. curling. I wow. wouldn't. I, and you know, there's actually curling clubs here in Fairbanks, Alaska. But you know, oh, obviously, really? for those, yeah, for people who don't know what curling is, they're like they like slide these stones across the ice and they try to get it into like the segmented circle area, and they're trying to get it to stop. It. I just like it. I I, I think it's an extremely, extremely uh interesting game and um it yeah. is it i was actually it's funny you said that because i was looking at um i was looking up the rules the other day because I, yeah. I was watching it briefly and i was like you know i, I kind of want to know a little more about it because i haven't watched it a ton there's a lot of similarities with um backgammon if you've ever played that or uh, yeah. seen that sport um but yeah it is pretty it's interesting i'll say that that's cool <laughs> all right so um here we got no-nos. Obviously, we got a, a question that we ask every week. Now, we also have the Name That Team segment. Um, we're going to keep your record still at 17, just for all fairness, uh, because, you know, having you name your entire own team may be a little unfair. So we're going to keep the record at 17, which is still, I believe you got the championship-winning Colts team um, back in the day. Uh, and then we're going to do a Name That Player where I give you some you know some obscure facts about a player okay and see how how quickly you can get them so for for this week's name that team we're going to go back to the, the dual combo of an nba finals we're going to okay. go 2011 dallas mavs and miami heat mm, okay so let's see let's see how you do here let me get a minute on the clock you let me know when you're ready 2011 and, NBA Finals. Yep, and here we go. Alrighty, <clears throat> we got Dirk Nowitzki, Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion, Deshaun Stevenson, Jason Terry. Oh, my dog Brian Cardinal was on that uh, championship he sure team. Was. They had the little dude JJ Barea. I feel like Corey yeah. Brewer from the uh, yeah. Florida Gators was on there. I'm trying to think of the other big man. Did they have Yan Mahimi? 
They had yes, Brendan Haywood. Wow, I'm thinking yes, I'm remembering way more Dallas players than I thought I would get. Wow. Yep. Alrighty. Uh okay, heat wise, I mean obviously, you know, LeBron. Yeah. Uh Mario Chalmers, Chris Bosch, D. Wade, Mike Miller, James yep. Jones. Yeah. Who are the bigs? Who are the big? Oh, Udonis Haslam. Um, yep. I got nobody else off that team. Big. Was, uh, was Jawan Howard on there? Yes, he was. You, oh my I'm pretty gosh. sure he just broke the record right there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's, you crushed it's going that. down. Hey, yeah, I got way that. more Mavs players than I thought I was gonna get. You didn't even get Zadrunas Ilgaskis. I mean, come on. Big, Did you, uh, you didn't it, get Mike Bibby, I don't think. Big Z was on the heat? No, uh-huh. He Big, sure was. He was wow. on the heat. Mike Bibby was on there. Oh, my uh, gosh. I forgot Mike Jerry Bibby. Jerry Stackhouse was on that team. How about, oh how about Karan Butler being on the Mavs? I had oh. forgotten about that. Hold on. Mike Bibby was on the heat? He was. Yeah. And Karan Butler was on the Mavs. Karan but Butler, you, yeah. Man, you killed that. That was impressive. Oh, my gosh, because I remember that finals like it was yesterday. Goodness. It's crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. Dirk. Dirk was a, a monster. That, that, that's that's going to go down as one of my favorite NBA finals ever. Yeah? It is. Yeah, Dirk, Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki getting that championship. I loved it. Uh-huh. All righty. Time for a little name that player. All right, let's do it. All right. This guy is a baseball player. Okay. Born on September 19th, 1943 in Bonham, Texas. He played with uh, multiple National League teams. Uh, he also played in the American League a bit later in his career. Okay. Smaller in stature, 5'7", 160 pounds. He is a Hall of Famer. He won two MVPs. I feel like I might already know when you said how small he was. Five gold gloves. I mean, it's Joe Morgan. It is. Man, that was well done too. Look at I that. Mean, I mean, Joe Morgan's a little dude, man. But whoa, he what is. a what a player he was, man. Yep. Uh, career batter, 271, 2,500 hits. Amazing defensively. Remember mm -hmm. the little arm flap? You know, he used to do the yeah. arm flap. Uh huh. Um, man, he could steal bases. He could do it all. Great rest in player. peace. Rest in peace, Joe yeah, Morgan. Rest man. in peace, Joe. Former Red. Sad. Well, that was another fun week. It was a good one I today, JB. Myself. Especially that factor fiction segment. Oh my goodness. <laughs> True or false factor fiction. Oh man. Yep. It got me got me awake. Yep, absolutely. Well, we appreciate you guys listening. Continue to uh send us feedback. Um, no.jb.sportspedigree at gmail.com uh, try to keep uh, keep up the posts daily and uh, yeah if you got questions if you got thoughts shoot them our way we'd love hearing from you yes we will alrighty well you guys have a great week and we will uh, we'll, we'll be back at it again next week we'll talk to you later bye 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 check it we 
keep pushing forward when the lights dim. The flame still burns when the night ends. So it's time to get animated promptly. My passion's connotated as anger. Wrongly, since I'm as real as it gets, I won't take that. Might spew a couple of words I won't take back. I'll be the thug who seems to bring charm. Check my skin in the US, I'm seen as that regardless. Dyson Laharmus, emblematic guinea pigs, submit to control all the people in the city did. Silly kids only listen to that. It's strength in numbers to them. To me, it's how you attack. Sometimes I think that I'm great. Better to be